Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. You're about to hear a favorite from the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze archives. This show originally aired on November 1st, 2018. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton. Food Schmooze inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We're in our culinary studio at the Big G Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. We have the use of their five professional kitchens, part of their culinary education program. I'm with my food buddies I adore, Chris Prosperi, senior producer Robin Doyen-Aiken, Mark Raymond, Alex Province is away exploring the desert of Arizona. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, we have on this show Ina Garten of yeah. the Food Network is going to be with us. And so she's on the road promotion, a new cookbook, and it, it is really something. And by the way, she reinvents a dish that so many of you, maybe not all of you, but so many of you will remember from the Silver Palette cookbook, Chicken Marbella. How many what? times have we all made this dish? She has updated it and put it in this new cookbook. So Crazy. I'm just giving you a little tease about that. Right now, I would like to talk with you about... I just came back from leading that tour of Puglia, Italy. Puglia, for those who don't know, that is southern Italy. If you know that Italy is a boot, it's on the heel of the boot, and two seas come together. And in fact, it is the longest stretch of uh, beach and the most loved beaches in wow. all of Italy. And so while you hear of people going to Positano and Amalfi, Capri, all that, the real place that Italians go is to the beaches of Puglia. Wow. So gorgeous. Amazing you know, seafood? Absolutely gorgeous. Seafood everywhere. Good Let me bad. just tell you, here's what happens. <laughs> when you're in Puglia, every meal seems to open the same way. They give you buffalo mozzarella, okay, of course. but so good that it will ruin you for the rest of your life. <laughs> and um, then they give you lots of prosciutto. They might oh. give you um, speck or speck, as yeah, we say. Yeah. You know, things like that. And it's just a fantastic way to open, but it's over and over again. It's their thing. These products are all around them. And they have beautiful <sighs> cattle there. And so they have amazing so they steak. As oh. well as seafood. Seafood is everywhere. It is amazing produce down there too. With oh all the, yeah, Mark. All the vegetables. Super warm climate. A lot of uh, Mediterranean influence. It's just yeah. And the wines just a special there. Place. So good. Oh yeah. Really good. We, the Primitivo has always been a favorite of mine. From me that too. Region. Yeah. So if you are in American stores and you see a Primitivo from Italy, it's probably going to be at a good price and it's yeah. delicious. And it's from that region. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's oh, yeah. Cool. really, really delicious. That's yeah. the grape delicious. that grows there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. And, um, it's related to red Zinfandel genetically. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Mark. Does it so, have that kind of? Flavor it has that profile? deep, rich texture and fruit flavor. It's yeah. a Boulder style red. Well, we went with forty listeners. 
Nice. I've never gone with that many, you know, led a Fun. tour like that before. And we have our what we call our man on the ground, Franco Colombo of Mama Sole Tours, and he's the one who's in Italy. And when we say we want to do this or that, he will say, well, how about this too, because you, you drive right by this. And there's one restaurant I want to mention in particular. It is, without a doubt, the most dramatic, romantic, amazing setting of a restaurant I have ever been in in my life. And wow. I believe me, wow. on these tours yeah. and even on my own vacations, because of the work that I do, yeah. I have been in places that are just staggering. Ducasse and all sure. this stuff, Monte, Monte Carlo, Carlo and yeah. all, you know, things where you, well, you say this, I will never <laughs> ever live to do this again. <laughs> This is in a part of Puglia called Pulignari uh, Amare. And so it's a seaside town, nothing super fancy. It does have a few designer stores, but I mean, it's it's like a beach town in America. And then these central squares and the village and churches and the whole thing. And we're walking all around. Then they said, now we're going to go into the restaurant for the big experience. This is probably the most important meal of the trip. And I'm also selecting it because of what I just mentioned, that I've never seen anything like this. You go down a narrow staircase that almost is like a winding staircase. And you're thinking, you know, where where am I going? Yeah, straight down, 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 down. And there there is an elevator for people who have difficulty. But, you know, I was doing the stairs and come all the way to the bottom, and they said, all right, now you just go down this little alley here, and then you come slightly out of the alley, and you look out, and you are looking out on the Mediterranean in all its aqua gorgeousness. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And you realize that you are walking into, in the Palisese, a natural cave in the cliffs, it was formed naturally. It's not that some people and sometimes carve them out to live in. No, this is gigantic. It's a natural cave with some wow. stalactites, stalagmites. And it was the royal palace at one time. No it's filled with tables and you are in both the cave and on the cliff overlooking the splashing aqua water. I have never had an experience like this. I was so staggered. I, there are, now, there are pictures on the website. You might have to scroll back because we've been filling in the album as we go. This is the picture to see. You'll see three, four. It's How high stunning. up were you? Like Not from that the, high. So you could hear the water oh, hitting the cliffs. Yes. And wow. But you, so you sit. I mean, it's very kind of a posh. You know, it's a little elegant service just right on. And then out comes the food. The food was so amazing. First comes out uh, kind of an appetizer, and it is in the middle. There is a buffalo mozzarella, you know, the very runny Creamy. creamy style, yeah. Yeah. So that's local and yeah. unbelievable. They wrap around that thin slices of speck carpaccio. Oh. So that's yeah. wrapped around the outside. <laughs> Yum. Then on the top, inside this wrapping, there are these purple pearls. 
And we said to them, what is this? And they said, those are balsamic pearls. Oh, sure. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from chemical, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. gastronomy. Yeah. And apparently you can, get, of... you can get them in the United States. Yeah. I didn't even, I've never sure. seen these before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I looked it up. You can yep. get them in the United States. Balsamic pearls. And they pop in your mouth. Like so you're burst. taking a bite of all of this as you go through the runny mozzarella and the oh speck. And the balsamic <laughs> pearl is popping in your mouth. It's one of the most delicious Heaven. things I've ever had. I yeah. absolutely Primitivos love it. Primitivos that they were bringing to the table, these wines with the Primitivo grip. Unbelievably delicious. Yeah. The meat on that, we, I had fish and then I tasted somebody else's meat. <laughs> it, the steak was unreal. The most staggering place to go. And I am telling you right now, it's one of those things where you say, once in my lifetime, I have to be in a setting like this because you're never going to see anything like it again. Yeah. There was a farm where somebody bought a castle and no one knew what to do with it. So this couple said, we're farmers. If the state will give us some funding, we'll okay. start restoring this. We're going to run it as a farm in an inn. And that's what they did. And we went there and they make olive oil. Oh. It's the largest olive oil oh. producing region in all of Italy. Everywhere you go, there are the most gorgeous olive trees that twist because the they're following the sun, oh. like a sunflower. Yeah. That's why they wow. twist. And it's the farmer's job to keep them they let them twist, but they don't want them to go to the side because they'll fall over in a storm. So you see them all propped up while they're still growing. The olive oil is unbelievable Fresh, right? in yeah. Puglia. It's still that farmland there. And yeah. then we went to a place called Savi. This is run by a Nicola Savi who was probably trained. He's a teacher and a chef. He's the most remarkable man. He's trained more of the greatest chefs in all of Italy than you, I could ever say. And so when he goes anywhere, out comes the red carpet. Oh, sure. Through Carlos Pasta here in Connecticut, we had a connection to him, and he hosted us at Savi, his restaurant. Oh, nice. He makes crepes. Now, we think of crepes as dessert crepes. With what? Bananas, cream, strawberries, chocolate. Chocolate, Nutella. He makes savory crepes like you've never seen in your life. You know, one might come out stuffed with something and then there's a langoustine stretched across the top. Oh, nice. He made us, though, the crepe that is the most popular crepe in the 30 years he's been doing this. Their ham and cheese all diced up. Oh. And then a little bit of a sauce that he's created. And then he folds it all up so that it looks like a round crepe. And then back in the butter again. Um, and it, they brown melts. the outside and the inside melts. And he serves it to you. And you just think, okay. You really need to come to America. This is yeah. very important that you come to our <laughs> our country and set up I, a chain of those restaurants around the country. Why don't creperies make it here? It's not what we eat. In the 70s, there was one that was La Crepe, right? That went around the states, but it didn't make it. There's one in Greenwich that's been yeah. there a long time. Yeah. You can make them gluten-free by sure. using buckwheat, buckwheat and yeah. Yeah. Uh, corn flour. He made some of those for us. Delicious. There was one up in the Berkshires in Lenox, Mass., and uh, right in the downtown area where they were making like 
butternut squash crips. Oh, yeah. And, oh. you know, it's and, the most versatile. Yeah, right? I mean, put just, anything in them. Yes, but I want these savory ones because one of the most delicious things I've ever had is to have that. It's just there's something about the proportions, the yeah. outside. Makes me think maybe I'll try crunch. it for a while. Yeah. Right? Run a yeah. crepe special. Well, anyway, that was our trip to Puglia with uh, 40 listeners who were the most fun. <laughs> and I'm back at the drawing board. I had such a good time. I'm back at the drawing board to see what trip might be next. So you be sure and write in and let us know what you want us to do. But I don't know. We have some ideas. We were talking about it here on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got some ideas. I know. I know you do. All right. Quickly, as we're getting to Ina Garten is joining us in just a few minutes, I wanted to talk about this wine which is a Prosecco from the Pasqua Winery. We've had them on the air. They did 11 Minutes. Yeah. The 11 Minute Rosé, yeah. They, which was... Made the summer. You know what? Yeah. Let me just tell you something because I am proud of this. <laughs> Do you know how many bottles of that wine were sold from that piece on this show? It was over 3,000 cases. Wow. That's not normal, right? That is not that is not the norm. <laughs> that is definitely not the norm. So people and are truly appreciating that wine and listening. When someone does something great, it makes me so happy. I am interested in Prosecco. Sometimes I get disappointed because the bubbles aren't fine or it's a little too floral and I want it to be drier. A little bit more in the direction of a dry champagne. So it can only be from a certain region in Italy to get the name Prosecco. And this one is, it's around $20. It's a Prosecco made almost in that method Champenoise. So, Mark, tell us about this, where this comes from. It's so good. So this is... Fine bubbles. Yeah. So this is the Romeo and Juliet Prosecco that they make. Mm. And it's uh, got that funky label that we've seen on the white and the red that like we've graffiti. had on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's a snapshot of the the wall of Juliet where 3,000 people a day write love notes on the wall. Aww. So it's, that's really cool. But what's in the bottle is a brute Prosecco where a lot of the market is filled with extra dry, which tends to be a little on the sweeter side, a little more fruity. This is a brut. This means it's really bone dry Prosecco. But still friendly. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's not like you say, ooh, this is so bitter or anything. No, it's not super tart. It's just delicious. really got some wonderful sort of uh, Granny Smith apple to it. It's real crisp, real refreshing, and great for this time of year. We're We're celebrating, right? Yeah. Yeah, From here to the end of the year. I've got to say at the holidays because there is so much food and people just stopping by or, you you know, you have more people over for dinner. A lot of times this would be fabulous to pour either when they come in the door or when they're sitting down to dinner. A lot of times the food can be so rich or there's so much of it. I need something light. Yeah. And I'm a believer like you are, Mark and Chris, that this goes with everything. It's refreshing. Yeah. It's a refreshing drink. And it, yeah. you know, Celebratory. Yeah. Happiness yeah. in a glass. It's at our website. Picture of the label. You can just take it to the store. Call ahead. They can't stock everything. They should have it to you within 24 hours. We tell you what distributor they are on the site. Go to foodschmooze.org. Schmooze, like S-C-H, like school. M-O-O, like the cow. Z-E. Foodschmooze.org. Romeo and Juliet Prosecco, around $20 and as good as a lot of champagnes that I've had. This is really fantastic, except yeah. that it's true Prosecco. 
but in a drier, more exquisite, actually higher quality taste than I've seen in a long time. So I love that. Good way to start the holidays. Yeah. Okay. Also, sorry, my voice is playing some tricks on me. <laughs> this is the season for that, too. Uh, more mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. That's because our special guest is Ina Garten with her new cookbook, I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org. And, of course, we'll be right back. Listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired November 1st, 2018. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans, Beans not cornbread out of sight. Beans. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Beans. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Sign up for our free podcast, a copy of the show. It arrives in your inbox. You just go to our site once, and then it's taken care of. And that's foodschmooze.org. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine expert Mark Raymond, and I've been waiting for this. Ina Garten is where she is because of who she is. So returning to our show, which always delights me, with the newest of her many cookbooks, we have the Food Network star and best thrower of dinner parties, I'm told, Ina Garten, author of Cook Like a Pro. And I want that to scare you because that might sound like, oh, that's not me. But oh, when you see these recipes or hear about these recipes, you're going to realize I think it is for you. Ina, welcome back to the Fuchmoose. So happy to talk to you. Me Always. too. So I have to go immediately to something you did in this cookbook, which I think is kind of genius. Can't imagine what that is, say. <laughs> Am I the first to say this? This is doesn't usually come up in a conversation. But just go ahead. I don't want to stop you. <laughs> yeah, I think you're supposed to say, "Do go on." <laughs> oh yes, do go on. <laughs> um, chicken Marbella has been oh. updated. Of course, this comes from Sheila Lucan, Silver Palette, and, and Julie Russo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many people. Maybe not some youngsters. But a lot of people have made oh this gosh. dish about a hundred times, and I have always felt that a little something, as much as I loved it, it's the perfect, easy thing to make for a crowd of people. Yeah. I couldn't get it, and I'm excited about this recipe, Ina. Tell me what you did. As Nora Ephron said, in the 80s in New York City, every time you went to a dinner party, they served chicken Marbella. <laughs> and there were two reasons for it. It's the easiest dinner party dish you could ever make because you mix everything together, as you remember, and you put it in the refrigerator overnight, and you take the entire pan and throw it in the oven, sauce and marinate and everything, and it comes out incredibly well. And the mm. second reason why I love it is it has so much flavor. 
But when I revisited it, it just didn't quite, I don't know whether the ingredients are different now or whether we expect more flavor from things that we make now, but it just needs a little something. It was a little too sweet. That might be something that you tasted. It was a little y- yeah. cut down on the, on the brown sugar at the end, that caramelization. But I also ramped up the seasonings just a little bit and ended up with exactly the chicken barmbay of your, of your memory, actually, oh. <laughs> of what we remember was so good about it. There's something about chicken and prunes and olives that just sound very strange, and they're so good. Give me a second to just tell people who are of a certain age who might not or maybe don't cook and might not know. We so automatically think, of course you know it's in chicken marbella, but olive oil, red wine vinegar, prunes, large green olives, capers, bay leaves, garlic, some dried oregano. A lot of garlic. Yeah, I see that. Kosher salt, chicken pieces, light brown sugar, which has been lightened up in this recipe, and some dry white wine, like a Pinot Grigio, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that's what comes together in the pan that gets popped into the oven. And it Love is, it. I know. <laughs> okay. I want to hear from Chris on this. We asked Chris if he would make one of your recipes for us. And we just sat and ate it with a rosé I brought back from Italy and with Mark's Prosecco. And are you started to tell me that they're all toasted over there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my own? No. No. <laughs> no. I know. Pour something really quickly. After hearing about that, I'm going to get a coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is your red wine braised short ribs. I've made that so much. Oh, good. Are you happy with it? No, it's ridiculous. (laughs) I wanted more. It's just it's perfect for this time of year too. As some people say, it's sick. Yeah. It's sick. (laughs) It's sick. It's just so good. It's It's sick. sick. (laughs) I made it for a friend of mine, and she texted me right afterwards, and she said. Man, can you cook? <laughs> that, that was the best compliment I ever got. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I've made a lot of different short ribs, but yeah. the one thing that you did is it has Guinness in it. Guinness stout. Depth of flavor comes from that. You don't know what's in there, but it's just amazing flavor. Did you serve it the way I do with the creamy blue cheese grits? No, we did a little bit of mashed potatoes. If I had them, I would have. That yeah. sounds and you, awesome. You'd all be asleep now <laughs> if you had. Yeah, right? But, you didn't. <laughs> but the red wine in that gives it just something, right? I know. Yeah. That's so smart to figure out that both red wine and Guinness – we're going to be in the same thing together. That is oh, so really I, interesting. So like you know how beer and Guinness has that kind of smoky, I don't know, dark yeah. flavor? I just think really makes the red wine much deeper. And am I right? That was a pretty easy dish to make. Yeah. We're talking about short ribs mm-hmm. and olive oil, salt and pepper, leeks and celery and onions and carrots, lots of garlic, a bottle of, say, burgundy. Cote d'Iron and kind of red wine, which you can also serve with it, which is great. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Something in it. You want to serve exactly the same one with yeah. it. Yeah. Beef stock, crushed tomatoes in a can, that Guinness stout we were talking about, thyme, and then you can serve it on creamy blue cheese grits, celery root, and chickpea puree. Certainly you can serve it on, on mashed potatoes. I mean, a thousand different things I can think of. It's you just, just serve the it way it comes it. together is just so – the sauce – it's not just the way it tastes. It has this shine on it. And I don't know if it's That's a combination right. of the beer and wine, yeah. but oh, well, you could bathe a lot in of it, it. 
a lot of it has to do with roasting the bones first. Yeah. Right. Instead yep. of just right. like, sautéing them quickly, when yep. you roast them, you really caramelize the juices on the bones. I think that really helps it. Whenever I think of braise, you know, I'm actually braising them in the pan, but I love your idea here where you actually just take the, the short ribs and you roast them in the oven for a little while. Yeah. And then yeah. put them the into flavor. the sauce. And also, you know, you salt and pepper it before you put it into the oven. So the seasoning actually gets into the meat. There's so mm. many things that we have where the seasoning sits on the outside, like when you're roasting a chicken and you just season it at the end. It just, the inside of it doesn't have any great flavor. It just tastes salty. But if you season mm. the short ribs and then roast them for a while, all of that flavor gets into the middle of the short ribs, which yeah. is, I think, the challenge for any kind of protein. This is Ina Garten, and her new cookbook is called Cook Like a Pro. These are recipes and tips for home cooks. The other tribute to you is that Chris and I, our studios are in the culinary education department at Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven, mm-hmm. and we love, we're big, big community college supporters. So they asked Chris and me to pick something, you know, do a demo with yeah. the screen, the TV screen, mm-hmm. the whole thing. I know we decided out of 50 billion cookbook authors. At least 50 billion, I'm sure there are. <laughs> we were making this we can do it in a large batch so yeah. easily. Pop it in the oven and you're done. All about the books on our website, foodschmooze.org. And then also you'll see that recipe and you just if you want to eyeball it, you'll know that when you go get the book or pass it on to somebody as a gift, you say to them, and I will be so honored to come to your house when you make the short ribs. You just say, <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's true. It would be fun to make with that, the orange roasted rainbow carrots. I know there are carrots in the short ribs, but there's something yep. about having roasted carrots with it that is just fantastic. Really? Cris- crispy yeah. on the outside, did you just soft do on that? the inside. Yeah, I just did that, actually. So you have the haricot vert, the dressed-up green beans, <laughs> but with hazelnut <laughs> and dill. Ooh. Isn't that a combo? Uh, I like the flavors together, but also, to me, the texture of something is as important as the flavor. Yes. and yeah. And the... Kind of the crunchiness of the hazelnuts mm. with the string beans is just great. I love oh. it. That gives you a new recipe for the holidays, right? Try this one instead of the classic yeah. one with cream and mushroom soup. This is <laughs> taking it up yeah. a notch Don't or two. Don't do the cream and mushroom soup. <laughs> with, the, with the French fried <laughs> onion rings. <laughs> you know, well, maybe with the French fried onion rings. Yeah. <laughs> I never scold people for wanting to be traditional and make the same meal over and over and over. But I always say it is fun to take one dish and change it. If you do a green bean a certain way, try this one. Yeah. Try another one. Foodschmooze.org for that. And, of course, in the book, Cook Like a Pro, from Ina Garten. It's her new book. I'm a big potato galette fan and because they get so crispy on the outside and slightly creamy on the inside. How do you do these? What's the secret to getting it right? I think adjusting the temperature on the stove just to make sure that you don't burn the outside mm. before the inside is cooked. This actually was, it was a great recipe that started with the, it used to be called French Culinary Institute, but International Culinary Center in New York City. And I sent my assistant, Lydie, there for cooking classes just because I thought she would find it really fun and instructive. And she did. And it's a wonderful, wonderful school. And mm-hmm. they made a potato galette. And I love that you can just shred it, the potato on a, a mandolin. And you don't even need a mandolin. You can get one of those Japanese julienne cutters, and then you just press them into the pan and just cook it very slowly until the outside is really 
kind of crispy like French fries, and the inside's creamy like really great potatoes. And the whole key is about seasoning it perfectly. It's like a uh-huh. giant French fry. Yeah. <laughs> and you sprinkle some minced chives on the top. Some chives, uh-huh. yeah, on the top. Oh, and I got to try that. Do, do you, you, try you, that. You, you call for fleur de sel as the salt you're sprinkling on. Do you find really, truly, that there is a great difference in salts that you can notice? If you're somebody's house, would you say, oh, what a beautiful fleur de sel? Or would you just say, nothing? I know there are a million different kinds of, you know, purple salt from the Himalayas or whatever, <laughs> Himalayan sea salt. I actually don't know a lot about them, but I do know that there are several that I use all the time, and I use them consistently yeah. for certain things. I never use classic table salt because of the mm. kind of metallic, what they put in it to keep it, like, free-flowing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little harsh. I always use, um, what is it, kosher uh, uh, salt, and I'm just trying to think. Of, Diamond yeah. crystal. Diamond crystal. <laughs> Thank you. Red because box. if you use a different kosher salt, like David's um, kosher salt is actually saltier than diamond crystal. So oh. I always stick to one. Yeah, that, um, that's And the then best. I think fleur de sel has a, a lightness. It's briny, not salty. So as a finished salt, it's fantastic. Mm. Textural, uh, too, right? There's different size crystals. A little bit, right, yeah. exactly. Then the only other salt I use is Malden Flake Sea Salt. Oh, yeah. Love when that. you want something that has a, like a crunch to it, or if I'm doing like a chicken pot pie, I'll brush the top with an egg wash and then sprinkle it with Malden Flake Sea nice. Salt and some pepper, and it just has that texture, so it looks salty and peppery. Yeah. Um, those are basically the three I use all the time, and for exactly those purposes. Yeah. Um, oh, wait a minute. It just flew out of my head, this salt thing. <laughs> well, welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. told me recently that my brain is like a library. Some books are easy to find and some are harder. <laughs> that pretty much did it. I'm using that. I love it. <laughs> you know, we would be at a dinner party at my house, and we say things like, um, you know, what's his name who was in that movie? Um, you know, the, the one um, you think you've got the answer, and they say, no, no, he wasn't in that because he was in um, <laughs> that other the other that thing. That's <laughs> the whole thing. And nobody knows about who anybody's <laughs> talking about. People, they were trying to think of somebody's name. Finally, they said, you know, I can't remember. Is he alive or is he dead? <laughs> <laughs> and my husband, Jeffrey, said, oh, now I know who it is. <laughs> It's a good place to start. (laughs) Oh, my God. You see why we love Ina. Okay. Ina Garten. Her book is called Cook Like a Pro. It's just out. Oh, wait. I know what I was going to say about the salt. This remark you made about regular table salt having a metallic taste to it. I have a theory that gluten-free baked products taste slightly metallic and weird, partly because they're using the cheapest salt they can. And it has that metallic-y thing because it tastes metallic to me, all the baked goods. Yeah. And so maybe. Possible. Just a theory. For baking, gluten-free. I always use Thomas Keller's Cup for Cup. Yeah. I I have that. Spectacular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything tastes exactly the same except cookies, which are just ever so slightly crisper. They're actually better. It's just fantastic. And I don't think it has any of that kind of metallic at all. Oh wow! I'm gonna. I've got that in my freezer. I'm gonna dig that out now. Wow! I'm having such a good time. I just looked at the clock. We've got to take a quick, a quick break. But don't go anywhere. We're gonna continue this conversation with Ina Garten, who's back on the show. We're going to be asking her about, she has this dessert that just, when she tests it at her dinner parties, people go crazy. 
She's going to tell us all about that. We love the local and ask you to support your local food growers and food makers. We'll take this quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired November 1st, 2018. I think that I'll keep loving you way past 65. We made a language for us two we don't need to describe. Every time you call on me, I drop what I do. You are my best friend and we got something to do. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and, of course, the Hamptons. Senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear this show, the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3. And as we go back to Ina Garten and her new cookbook, Cook Like a Pro, okay, the butternut squash gratin. It's butter, olive oil, yellow onions, garlic, of course, butternut squash, ground nutmeg, as you might suspect, some heavy cream and breadcrumbs from a country loaf, which is really what makes this that textural thing that Ina Mm. loves and grated Gruyere cheese with butternut. I do so much butternut squash that every once in a while my editor says, it's enough already with butternut squash. (laughs) I just just think it's so delicious. And for the holidays, it's great because you can make a huge gratin dish of this. Mm. And actually, you can assemble it in advance, put it in the refrigerator, and then just throw it in the oven before dinner. Best recipes. Uh, Love it. I know. When you're home by yourself and you're doing that, you know, throw-together thing, what do you turn to most often? Does it keep changing for you or? I mean, like I'm cooking for myself? Yeah, you're just by yourself, just going to whip something together. That would never happen. It... <laughs> I would say the only thing I would ever whip together for myself would be a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm cooking all day. The last thing I'm going to do is cook dinner for myself. Yeah. I cook because I love to take care of people. You know, I love to take care of Jeffrey and my friends, and I don't cook for myself. I mean, maybe I'll take, I love soup, so when Mm. I make a big batch of soup, I'll keep it in the freezer. So I would defrost some soup and heat it up on the stove. I don't think I've ever taken out a saute pan to make something, dinner for myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same. That's the best story. I love that. Um I, of course, fell in love with anything that's got sort of a crunchy outside with cheese. It makes me happy. And so I, as soon as I got to your Parmesan pesto zucchini sticks, I thought, oh, now in this world of ours, you can get zucchini all year long. Yeah. Uh, You can do pesto anytime you want, assuming you're not eating within 50 miles of your house, as some (laughs) people do. This is great with garlic and panko breadcrumbs, Parmesan cheese, Red pepper flakes, give it a little snap, and that Malden salt. It, easy to do, right? So easy to do. And I love that the, uh, when you roast the zucchini like this, big long strips of zucchini, it gets very kind of creamy. Mm. And then the panko crumbs and pesto become like crunchy. So, again, that's a, a really great textural thing. Now that you've been hearing us as we're having this conversation, all of us, 
I'm going to back into this question. You hear what it's like. You can see that cook like a pro doesn't mean you have to jump to a level so that you too can have a cooking show on television. And <laughs> I know, would you talk about what you were getting at? Each recipe, I did the kinds of recipes I usually do, easy recipes that you can make at home, and they're things you want to eat at home. They're not restaurant recipes where you have to make demi-glace in order to prepare the dish. But in each recipe, there's what I call a pro tip that is something that pros know about how to make the recipe that a lot of people don't know at home, like for cauliflower. Somebody Mm -hmm. wrote to me and said, when I cut the cauliflower, it gets all over the kitchen. What can I do about it? And I couldn't imagine what they were talking about. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, if you cut the cauliflower through the top, you know, that rounded top, the florets are going to get all over the kitchen. But what, what I would naturally do from years of cooking is turn it over, cut out the core, and pull the florets apart. So you not only mm. um, don't get cauliflower all over your kitchen, but, you know, there's little flakes of cauliflower, but, but also all the florets are whole. They don't have, a, like, a cut mark on them. So it looks nicer. So the so knife goes through. You just cut out the core from the underside. From the underside, I see. You, you turn could, it over, cut out the core, and then cut the florets apart without cutting through the florets. Like you would with an apple. So each recipe has something like that. There's a dessert that's a chocolate pecan meringue tort. Mm-hmm. Like how to make beautiful chocolate curls. Restaurant pastry chefs know how to do it, but there's a trick to it, and it's a very simple trick using a microwave, which everybody has, and a vegetable peeler. And so each recipe has one, one or two uh-huh. pro tips that I've learned from being around restaurant kitchens or especially food store kitchens and professional cooks that I just thought people could use at home and they'd feel like they were doing it the right way and, and cooking with confidence. That's what I took from That's your book. Confidence. So I like that. I'm glad you said that. Let's do something that is a favorite of mine as well as yours, and it is that <laughs> fried chicken sandwich. Uh. Uh, it's so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I actually made it for a friend who has had dinner at my house, I'd say, like, twice a month for years. And after I made this, he said, I think this is the best thing you've ever made. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was the fried chicken sandwich from Shake Shack. I know. <laughs> you know what the secret to that is? It's a, a bun with, you know, a special sauce, a buttermilk sauce, which is incredible, and herbs. And then a filet of chicken breast that's been breaded and fried. The secret to that is something I actually had been thinking about doing for a while. And then the Shake Shack book came along and they did what I've been thinking about. I thought that's going to work. Is you marinate the chicken in buttermilk. Then you put it in a flour and seasoning mixture. And then you put it back in the marinade. And then you put it back in the flour. So it's got like a double crust. Oh, yeah. So then when when you cook it... It just gets really crunchy on the outside, and because of the buttermilk marinade, the chicken is really flavorful. All the seasonings get into the chicken, and the buttermilk makes it really tender. It's Soft. so good. Oh. <laughs> can you can you have a seizure from just listening to the description of something? I think I'm going to have a seizure. Okay, so I, um, though I'm sure I'd be fought on this, I think this is so good, this sandwich, that I would serve this for a dinner. Oh, I did. yeah. You I did? did. Yeah. <gasps> dinner what, happened? Absolutely. what happened? Well, that's, what, that's when people went crazy. They were just like, oh, my God, this is the best thing you've ever made. I'm like, really? <laughs> I ran sandwich? out of time, and I wanted to do something quick and easy. <laughs> wow. And did you just load up on all the sides and things? or? Yeah. 
And then can you just think of the wine that would be so perfect with this sandwich? Isn't it? Oh, oh my yeah. God. You know what else I make a Riesling. lot? That people just, I mean, I, I remember serving it the first time to like six people. And there was a moment where everybody started eating it and they were like, Dead silent. They were like, mmm. <laughs> I thought, oh, I guess it's good. It's the pork pasole. It's like a soup or something between a soup and a stew. Yeah. And then on top, I serve it with lime wedges because lime, that edge with lime is really great. Sliced avocado, sliced scallions, sliced radishes, which have a little heat, yeah. um, grated cheddar, It's kind of, and sour cream. It's kind of like an ice cream sundae for grown-ups. And oh. people just go crazy over it. I think it was one, I think one of the most successful things I've ever served at a dinner party. Really? Yeah. Are you sometimes using the dinner party as a test? Always. Yeah. Not sometimes, always. Um, mm. You know, when I'm testing recipes, I'll test them over and over and over and over again. One of them I remember doing like 25 times just to make sure it's exactly what I'm looking for, like the flavors are right and the texture's right and it's easy to make, that there's not an easier way to prepare it. And then when I'm done, I hand it to my assistant and watch her make it. And I'll see her, like, read the instructions and hesitate. And I'll go, okay, what was your question? What, what did you wonder about? And she'll tell me, and I'll just write the answer in the margin. So people feel like oh. I'm standing next to them while they're making the recipe. Oh, that's Very great cool. to know. I don't know what they would do with a written word because I know what I meant. But whether I actually said it right is, you know, like cut mm-hmm. something crosswise can be lots of different things. Yeah. So I want sure. it to be very specific so somebody's not standing there going, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> but then the final test in answer to your question is I do it for dinner party. For dinner party, you have to make three things. You have to make cocktails. Yeah. You have to set the table. You have, there's a lot to do. I and know. if it's too complicated to do for a dinner party, it doesn't go in the book. This is Ina Garten, and her newest book is called Cook Like a Pro. These are recipes and tips for home cooks. This is for food you make at home, but yeah. every recipe has a little box next to it with a so pro cool. tip of things Ina has invented herself or picked up from somebody else through the years and relies on. And so she's passing those on to us. I just looked at the pozole. Oh, yeah. uh, it's one of my favorite things, yeah. too. And I just looked at that picture and thought, oh, Yum, boy. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, round two. That would definitely be a dinner at Lunch my house. Time round two. <laughs> so when people, when you invite people to dinner, do they tell you their food issues or do you ask them? And oh, have okay. you seen the number, you always ask, and have I you always. seen the number of issues go up or what do you think? Well, you know, I, I have this thing. Actually, Dan Barber at Stone Barnes told mm-hmm. me this thing about gluten that maybe all of you know, but I thought it was really interesting, is that in the past 20 years, people have had a huge increase in gluten allergies. Yeah. But it, it turns out that in the past 20 or 25 years, the wheat producers have been increasing the, the amount of gluten in wheat so uh-huh. that the bread producers don't have to work so hard to make bread. Interesting. Um, Interesting. They, those two things correspond. Yeah. Wow. So the wheat that we're eating has much more gluten in it than it should. I don't know whether they're selecting for high gluten or whether they're engineering it for high gluten, but mm-hmm. for whatever, however they're doing it, the new wheat that they're producing for to make Wonder Bread is different from the wheat 30 years ago. Yes, yes. And yes. so we have gluten allergies for a reason. 
there's too much gluten in, the, in anything that has wheat. Yeah. So what I do is I, I ask everybody what they don't like to eat. I don't even say allergic. Like, I don't like cilantro. I'm not allergic to it. I just hate it. So <laughs> I, I just ask anybody what they don't eat. And, you know, I usually get back responses like yeah. squirrel and <laughs> possum, snarky, things like that. But um, I write down what everybody doesn't want to eat in my contacts, you know, uh-huh. with their name and what they don't eat. Oh. And, and then I just make one menu that everybody can eat. It's the best it's way a, to do it. It's a little bit of a puzzle, but I always can always do it. And if somebody's vegetarian and I feel like making a standing rib roast, I'll make sure that there are enough vegetables and substantial ones. Or you just don't invite that person. <laughs> they get X'd off the list. Well, you know, my, my philosophy is I only invite people I love. There you yeah. go. So if I love them, yeah. I want them to have a really good meal. Right, I know. right. Care of. And I don't want them to have, like, everybody has, like, the fabulous meal, and they're over there with a plate of pasta with butter and Parmesan. Mm-hmm. I think a shared meal means everybody's eating the same thing. True. Agreed. Yeah. And, Agreed. And, it's, and they feel included and supported and taken care of. And if I didn't feel that way, I wouldn't have invited them in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I do have a vegetarian friend who says... If I get one more bowl of pasta with some cheese grated on the top, yeah. I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> yeah. They don't want to feel they it's want not to a vegetable. Like part of the party. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just tired of it. I think it's I think it's actually a little mean. I think we're not you've been cooking for so long and you know so well. You've done it commercially, you've done it in your house. Those of us at home, as you know, we can get scared to mm-hmm. to handle a whole you know meal for say six people, and hey, then stop right there. I find it scary, and I've been you doing do? it professionally for forty years. I do. I get Jeffrey knows in the fifteen minutes before people arrive. Don't talk to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I want you to feel when you arrive that I, oh, it was just something I whipped up in the few minutes before you got here. But yeah. Jeffrey knows the truth. It's just I've been sweating bullets for hours before, so uh, I totally understand that. Oh wow, that's so encouraging to me. It's 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 the human condition, I think. Yeah, that's why the the poor vegetarian ends up with a bowl of pasta because we just <laughs> we're too scared to think. I what else can I do? I can't well, do I one more dish. That's, well, that's the thing. It's not about doing something else. Yeah, it's I got about, you. It's just caring enough to plan a menu that everybody can eat. And I've had people to dinner when one person can't eat fish and the other person can only eat fish. What you did know, you, you do? Like pasticcio that had no fish anywhere, yeah. Yeah. that everybody mm-hmm. can eat and everybody can enjoy, it and you don't have, a, you just don't have a problem. Let's put in a, a quick dessert, Ina. You told me that people kind of go crazy over this one. It sounds so scary, but it's raspberry baked Alaska. It's very dramatic, and it's actually quite easy. And the best part is you can make it the day before. It's a scoop of individual scoop of ice cream, and I actually dip the scoop half in vanilla ice cream and the rest of the scoop in raspberry. So you have vanilla and raspberry together, and I I love those two flavors together always. Mm. And then the outside is meringue. It needs to be really messy, so when you bake it, the outside gets brown and all the kind of edges get really browned. And then I serve it with a little fresh raspberry sauce. But you can assemble those little balls of baked Alaska and put it in the freezer and then just throw it in the oven before you serve dessert. 
Yeah, what, what people might not realize, because I'm, you know, staring at the recipe, is that you're working from store-bought pound cake, store-bought, store-bought raspberry sorbet, sorbet, um, vanilla ice cream, and we seem to like the same brands. And then, so the cooking is the meringue, just whipping up the egg whites with sugar and vanilla and cream of tartar, That's and it. kosher salt, and, oh, and making a little bit of raspberry sauce. Which is literally, you cook some raspberries in water water for, I don't know, 10 minutes until they're soft. You put them in a food processor with some jam and a little framboise, and you puree it. That's it. Mm. That's the raspberry Simple sauce. sauce. Three. And you tested this at a dinner party. Oh, yeah. Many times. <laughs> 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 because, of course, you have to test it a lot just to make sure it's really good. <laughs> I know. Where's that sign-up sheet? How do we we get on that sheet? Okay. I'll text you my contact with all my uh, all my all my food favorites. (laughs) Not not the allergies. It's the opposite of what you like. I need I need dogs at my party. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I have the best time with you. I really do. Isn't it wonderful? I just had such a good time talking to you always. But you have to promise me that you're going to come by. Just. Text me and say you're coming over. Okay, I will. Okay, thanks, Ina. That's so sweet. The book is called Ina Garten, Cook Like a Pro, but these are recipes and tips for home cooks with a little box on each of the recipe pages with a little professional-like tip that will make things easier for you, make you understand something, and you'll want to use these just the way Ina does, but all the recipes completely doable, and some I'm going to turn to for sure. One Thanksgiving, as Ina knows, uh, we cook the entire meal start to finish from her book. Every single dish. Isn't that wonderful? The best. All right. It was so (laughs) delicious. And and at the end, we said to each other, my sister and I, we said to each other, wow, this shows us that our food was not very good. (laughs) This is really good food. (laughs) We should be (laughs) cooking at this level. One of the things I love about what I do is I love writing cookbooks. But the thing that I wasn't prepared for is that I'm giving people the tools to do it for themselves. And when you serve it and people say... You made this yourself. We feel good about it. Yeah. That's just a really wonderful unintended consequence of what I do, and I'm just really happy about it. I'm glad you do it. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) All right. Take care, Ina. It's great to talk to you. Me too. We're on Connecticut Public Radio, Thursdays at 3, and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.